Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> this episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in sports drink. Spelled like sports drink, but without the vowels. So S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> What's up, guys? Happy Independence Day for those of you here in the States with me and happy July to everyone else not celebrating uh the independence day by the time you guys hear this it'll be july the uh fifth and uh we're here once again to uh journey our way through the nfc east stop number three has us in philadelphia to preview the philadelphia eagles and our good friend brandon lee gouton who's been on the show several times over the years whenever we've played the eagles will be here to join us uh to preview these 2022 eagles a very interesting team You'll hear me at the interview say that they, they're kind of like the Washington Commanders of, of 2021 because they, they got off to the slow start, like 2-5 and five or 2-6, and six, but came on late and were able to get themselves into the playoffs. Uh, you know, were able to earn the seventh seed in the NFC, uh, only to be boosted early by the uh, defending world champion Buccaneers uh, in the wild card round. But nonetheless, a... a, a a great accomplishment for a first-year coach and for a team that started with a two and five, two and six uh, record for them to come strong at the end and find themselves in the playoffs. Kind of, you know, putting them in a position to uh, have something to build on for 2022. So uh, the Eagles be one of the more interest, intriguing teams. And as you've heard us talk about already, and you'll hear me talk about it with with Brandon and in our next episode with RJ Ochoa about the Cowboys. The NFC East is an unpredictable division because ever since 2004, there has not been a repeat champion uh, in the division. Now, the Cowboys seem to be in a good position to uh, repeat, but, you know, it's looked that way before, and they've come away empty-handed as far as division crowns uh, are concerned. So if, I think if there's a contender to take the division this year, I think the Eagles are in the best spot uh, to do so. But time will, uh, will tell uh, on that one, so... Let's go ahead and dive right into it. Don't have a whole lot to talk about. This is myself and Brandon Lee Gowton with the Philadelphia Eagle preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. Ringing out loud tonight. Stop number three on our trip through the NFC East takes us out to Philly. And the Philadelphia Eagles, who are the second place finishers in the division, and back to help us preview uh, these Philadelphia Eagles for 2022, our old friend from Bleeding Green Nation, it's Brandon Lee Gowden. Brandon, how we doing, man? Larry, doing great. 
Always a pleasure to be here with you. I don't even know how long we've been doing this. It feels like a long time now. <laughs> Always happy to be on. Yeah, it's. I think it's been a while, like 2015, 2016, I think, was maybe wow. the first time I had you on. And uh, But it's been since 2019 since the Bears played the Eagles, so that's how long it's been since I've had you on the show. So uh, an, uh, a little break uh, in between visits, but uh, you're back and we're happy to have you. So uh, welcome back. Always happy to be here. All right, so... Let's talk about this 2021 season that you guys had because as I'm as I'm sitting here looking at it, uh, all due respect, it looks a lot like the Redskins. Excuse me, the Redskins, the Commanders in 2020, where they got off to this wretched, like you know, one in six, one in five start, but somehow had this this late burst at the end of the season where out of nowhere they're playing in the playoffs somehow. Yeah, it was kind of a culmination of factors. You look at the first half or the early part of the Eagles' 2021 schedule, mm-hmm. and they they played some tough teams yeah. and some tough quarterbacks. Their schedule was easily front-loaded. At the same time, the Eagles you know, had a very young coaching staff with Nick Sirianni, who had never been a head coach before, Jonathan Gannon, who had never been a defensive coordinator before. Uh, the rest of the staff was very young, like all – a lot of guys in their you know like late 30s, early 40s, which is pretty young in terms of coaching terms. So uh, it was a young staff. They didn't seem to fully know what they wanted to do, and or it seemed like there was kind of an organizational mantra to pass the ball. Uh, early on in the season, the Eagles were really focused on throwing it, which historically they want to be a team that does that, but it was clearly not the best fit for this specific construction this configuration of the roster when you have Jalen Hurts who's a mobile quarterback obviously and Miles Sanders and Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell and some some good decent running backs and then a really good run blocking offensive line so it took some time for them to kind of figure out their formula they did that about week eight when they played the Lions and obviously the schedule kind of lightened up at that point too which kind of you know boosted the defense and everything Um, so they figured some things out and the schedule got easier and then they kind of really went on a run in the second half before they ran into a wall and made the playoffs as that seventh seed, that newly added seventh seed, but yeah. then we're down, I think it was like 35 to zero against the reigning Super Bowl champion uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the wild card round. And they put up some garbage time points in that game, but essentially, uh, you know, when the game was meaningful at all, they got blown out. So it was kind of right. a, a, an up and down season. Well, so far, um, neither conference has been able to justify that seventh seed. Uh, just yet. I mean, the Bears were laughable in the first year in 2020. They basically just showed up to get their asses kicked by the Saints. And then, you know, like you said, the the Bucks jumped out to a huge lead on the on the Eagles before adding some garbage time TDs to make it look at least respectable. 31 to 15 uh, being the final score uh, there. And then, you know, the Chiefs just running the Steelers off the field Last year, I mean, the Colts kind of made a game of it uh, with the Bills in 2020. But aside from that, three out of four, two versus seven matchups have been a joke. So Yeah, and again, you look at the Eagles, like the entirety of just the 2021 season. And they weren't even, it's not only that they lost to the good teams, because, okay, mm-hmm. the good teams are good teams for a reason. But, like, they weren't even competitive in those games. Yeah, uh, There was actually five quarterbacks and this is a big concern with the Eagles moving forward, there are five quarterbacks who completed over 80% of their passes, which is crazy because between like 1950, I think it was, 
and 2020, um, the Eagles had allowed like six quarterbacks total in that span to, for quarter, <laughs> opponent quarterbacks to go over 80%. And the Eagles did that five times in one season last year, which wow. was just insane. Wow. That's uh that's a crazy stat <laughs> right there. But, uh, you know, I mean, like you said, the, the schedule was front loaded. You started with the Falcons, got an easy week one uh, victory there. Then you had the 49ers, uh, 17-11, so that was a bit of a tight one. Then the Cowboys uh, with Dak Prescott, that was the first uh, blowout, 41-21, lose 42-30 to the Chiefs, take the win over the Panthers. So you're beating the teams that, you should suppo- that you're supposed to so far, but when you run into uh, the, you know, the next level of competition, that's where you... Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Run into trouble. They dropped the Thursday nighter to the Buccaneers. Then the Raiders. Is that one of those 80% games right there? The Raiders, 33 to 22? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Then you, 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 know, you make easy work of the Lions, 44 to 6. And then this is kind of where it turns. You play a tight game against the Chargers, only lose by a field goal there. Then you beat the Broncos. You beat the Saints. What happened in that Giants game, 13-7? to seven? I mean, <laughs> at the Giants, by the end of the season, couldn't beat, beat me and 10 of my closest friends. How did they end up beating the playoff team? Uh, so yeah, I, I think Giants fans would tell you even it wasn't so much about the Giants really beating the Eagles in that game. It wasn't like the Giants did anything well mm-hmm. as much as the Eagles just really shot themselves in the foot. They had like a really bad red zone turnover. Jalen Hurts was just not good at all that day. Everyone likes to point to Jalen Rager dropping um, a game-winning touchdown potentially but i mean it shouldn't have ever been in a position where he needed that to win the game like that because as you said the giants are so terrible you shouldn't need a game-winning touchdown like that it was just a really embarrassing performance by the eagles well i mean a few weeks later in soldier field we played the giants week 17 and it was one of the more embarrassing displays of football (laughs) i've ever seen you know i mean they after like the first quarter they refused to throw the football because either mike lennon was going to throw an interception or he was going to get killed by that we just hired this guy off the street offensive line that they had uh, in front of him. Uh, I mean, it was it was pathetic after a while. Just like they ran like 10 plays in a row uh, at, at one point and, and they had like 28 yards or something like that to show for, ended up kicking their only field goal of the game. But it was just like this is – this is embarrassing. Like I've, I'm rooting against these guys, and I feel bad for them. It was really, really bad. Yeah, and that was fun for me to kind of track too, and I think other people <laughs> in the NFC is just because of the fact, you know, uh, the Giants had the Bears' first round pick, and it, and it was a weird situation between right. the Giants being bad themselves, and also just the fact that the Giants are. Just they're a dumpster fire. Right. Like they, they they are tied with the Jets for the worst record in the NFL since 2017. 
Right. And speaking of the Jets, you beat them uh, rebounding from that loss to the Giants. You had the late week 14 bye. And then this really weird thing. This happened to the Commanders as well, where you had their last five games were all divisional games. Mm. Your last four were divisional games. You did the you did the Commanders at home, home for the Giants, both wins, home uh, on the road at the Commanders, another win, and then the 51-26 loss to the Cowboys. So if we're doing the math here, uh, 92 to 47 in two games against the Cowboys last year. Yeah, in the second game um, was, you know, the Eagles rested their starters. It was a weird situation where somehow the Eagles were the seventh seed, but also had the luxury of pretty, I mean, virtually, if they really wanted to, they could have played for a higher seed, but it wouldn't have made much sense because they still probably would have gotten the Bucks anyway. um, And then they wouldn't have gotten a week of rest, which didn't end up making a difference for them. But still, um, yeah, they basically just rested all of their starters while the Cowboys did play their starters uh, in that finale. So it was just a total mismatch out there. Yeah, well, the Cowboys got theirs a week later in horribly embarrassing fashion. I can't wait to have that conversation uh, oh, me too. this week uh, to find out uh, how a Cowboy fan feels about how that all went down. But So then you have the, you know, the wild card game against the Bucks, and we already talked about how that went. And now we're off into the offseason. I mean, how are you feeling about the season at, at the end? Because to tell you the truth, we were the seventh seed in 2020, we didn't feel like, I mean, I didn't feel, and I know that there are a lot of Bear fans who join me, like we had any business with the way that we played in 2020 being a playoff team. We were handled like we had no business being there. And then at the end of the season, it was like, yeah, we were an 8-8 eight and eight team that, you know, played worse. Actually, we were lucky to win as many games uh, as we did. You know, now it's on to 2021, you know, and where can we improve? How are you guys feeling? I mean, is it... Is it a positive that we made the playoffs year one under a new coach, or was it because, you know, hey, we're the seventh seed, we kind of backed our way in like the Bears did in 2020? Yeah, I think it's a positive overall, just the fact that, again, it's such a young coaching staff. It's Jalen Hurts in his first full season as a starter. He played four games uh, as a rookie in 2020, but still, you know, his first as a starter. So, you know, there's positives to take away from it, although – you know, I, I think there is credit to be given for beating the bad teams because not everyone can do that. Right. But at the same time, again, to look not competitive against the good ones and kind of having questions about the quarterback position, which, you know, let's be real here. That's what it all boils down to. Yeah. And and those still exist. And, you know, look, you know, we'll talk about the offseason here. The Eagles, I think, had a good offseason. They added pieces. And I think they're going to give Jalen Hurts a, a chance, a fair chance to really kind of show uh, what he can do with these pieces. But for now, now, just kind of going off of his 2021 like my thing with him is I, you, we can talk about quarterback wins and debate that all you want but like the the, the reality is Jalen Hurts has not gone up against another good quarterback and like outperform that player to lead the Eagles to victory it hasn't happened the best quarterbacks you can say that he has beaten are like Teddy Bridgewater and Matt Ryan and Teddy Bridgewater is the backup this year and Matt Ryan is like what 37 and clearly not in his prime anymore um so and even if like, even if you like Matt Ryan a ton that Falcons offensive line is pretty bad so he's playing behind that uh so yeah I I just need to see a lot more from Jalen 
Jalen Hurts. I think what we saw from him is that you can win with him. He's a win with player, but I don't think we've seen anything close to resembling a win because of player. And that's the kind of quarterback that you kind of have to pay the big money to, or you're going to feel more comfortable paying the big money to, as opposed to the guy who's just along for the ride. And then you give him the big money and you can't really surround him with all those pieces because then you're losing that cap space. So, so that's where we kind of sit, I think from the macro view. Was that how we feel about Carson Wentz? In the end, you gave him all that money to hang on to him, but in, in the end, he wasn't worth it? Uh, I think I, I still believed in Carson Wentz going into the 2020 season, mm-hmm. um, more so in the off season. Like He was really bad in training camp that year, so that kind of made me feel uneasy, and I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't want to you know, press the panic button because you know, practice is practice. You know, it's only worth so much. But then once he started to struggle early on in 2020, I was like, okay, well, those practice struggles are probably a sign of much more worse things to come and they were and at that point I was out on him but you know going into the 2020 season after he had you know helped lead the Eagles on a run there uh, when they basically had no talent to work with I thought okay this is this is kind of the makings of a win because of quarterback and he got hurt in the playoff game and so that didn't help him either Um, but but yeah I think it, it was a little bit of a different feeling because I think Wentz did show at least once upon a time pre-injury in 2017 that he could play at an MVP level. And I think a lot of people kind of were in the mode that he probably wasn't going to get back to there, especially after, after the injuries, but, but thought he could be, you know, uh, still kind of top 10 kind of guy and, and win because of at times. Um, So I I think there was some more upside flash there than with Hertz, who I think probably maybe has a higher, floor than Wentz did just because of his rushing ability and he's very good at like not making uh, mistakes in terms of turning over the ball but I guess my thing and I'm rambling a little bit here but my thing with Hertz and his like non-turnovers is that I think a lot of what is bad about Jalen Hurts is represented in opportunity cost so okay he doesn't throw the pick but he had a 40 yard uh you know a guy opened 40 yards down the field and he could have hit him for a touchdown but instead he held on to the ball for too long like he does he he is notoriously like i think he had the longest uh, time to throw or at least one of them last year and, and instead he's running for five yards or you know running or completing a check down for four yards so you know in in a vacuum that seems like okay it's not the worst player it's a positive play but you left a lot of you know meat on the bone so to speak and i think that's been an issue for him all due respect you were describing mitch trubisky <laughs> i mean and i know the jury is out on mitch again because we saw what a disaster matt Nagy ended up being with how he tried his damnedest to ruin justin fields uh last year who i think we can all agree is a far more talented quarterback than mitch was coming out of college or at least he had a far uh, greater pedigree uh coming out of uh, school, but it's like hanging on to the football too long. Uh, I can think of one play like at the, in the 2020 season, week one against the Lions. He throws a, a laser to Allen Robinson in triple coverage. Robinson has to leave his feet and make like a fingertip catch to make a nine-yard gain where if he had mm. hit Jimmy Graham, who was doing a drag route across the field, he would have had like a 40-yard t- I mean, there was literally no one on that side of the field. Jimmy Graham, all he has to do is catch the ball, hang a left, and he's running down the sidelines by himself. That's the kind of stuff that we would see from Mitch all the time. And, you know, right. how much of that was, you know, Nagy telling him, throw it here because he was so rigid with his system. There was no flexibility. At least with Sirianni last year, it was, okay, we wanted him to be a pocket passer. We want to throw the ball more. 
but he's better when he's moving on his feet. He's let's adjust. Let's, you know, go with this offensive line that blocks with no run so well. And the next thing you know, you won seven out of your last eight games and went to the playoffs. And, you know, Nagy did the opposite. He he dug in as far as his mm-hmm. his and we we just ended up people could see us coming a mile away. Anything that we tried to quote unquote trick the defense with was laughable. Uh, you know, double reverses. There'd be six guys waiting in the backfield, that kind of thing. So, you know, at least your guy made the adjustments. Our guys never did. So we don't really know what we had in Mitch. Like we knew he had talent. We saw it, you know, but he was very much like you, like you described with Jalen Hurts. He was a, a win in spite of or not, mm-hmm. you know, along for the ride. But we didn't win many games because of Trubisky. I think the only one I can think of the top of my head we won because of him was that that epiphany game he had against the Buccaneers. We threw six touchdowns against the Bucs, and we won 48-10. to 10. It's like That was his peak. He never got any better than that after. He had some really great games, but it wasn't like, oh, man, without Mitch, we didn't have a shot in that game. With that, we just didn't have many opportunities with him like that. And we, we'll, we'll always wonder what if between him and, and Nagy and who was to, who was to blame and, and all the rest of that stuff. So I hope you guys get it figured out with, <laughs> with Hurts. I mean – what what's the the consensus on him as far as like his future in Philly? As far as the fans are concerned, are we are we all behind him now, or are we looking like okay, what's the market look like next year? Yeah, so I think it's tough because um, you know whenever there's criticism of Jalen Hurts, obviously you're going to get, and I'm sure you know, you're labeled or you're familiar with this from Trubisky uh, over time. You know, you're labeled a hater, and sure. it's yeah, yeah. it's tough because there's so many things about Jalen Hurts that are likable. Like he yeah. checks all the boxes in terms of like work ethic and leadership, and it's just kind of like a cool dude and has swagger. Like he has all that stuff, and you're like, yes, like this is what a franchise quarterback like. This is how he acts and carries himself, and he's entirely rootable. Like you want to root for. Jalen Hurts to succeed. So I think that's where the majority of people are. I think that kind of clouds people's uh, judgment of him a little bit sure. because you're rooting for him so hard. And I don't blame people for that, to be clear. Eagles fans should, you know, think he's going to be the MVP this year. Like, I can't, bl- can't blame anyone for wanting to be really optimistic. That's part of being a fan. Sure. But, you know, when you, you kind of step back and I think you evaluate it a little bit more objectively, I mean, the, the thing I always say is – the Eagles offense turned around last year when Jalen Hurts was less involved. Like the Eagles were one of the most pass heavy teams early on in the season. And despite that, they finished the in, in the NFL last year with the lowest passing play percentage in the league. They ran the ball at a higher percentage than any team in the NFL. And yes, you give Sirianni some credit for adjusting mm-hmm. to that. At the same time, like that's not sustainable long term. Like eventually you're gonna have to develop a functional passing attack, especially in Philly, where again there's gonna be like ownership mandated uh, efforts to throw the ball because that's where the analytical side of this organization, like they believe very much that passing leading leads to winning. And I think that is generally true, um, especially when it comes to beating the good teams and not just like being able to kind of put something together to beat the bad ones. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of work for Jalen Hurts to do. The Eagles talk a lot about how they feel confident in him reaching his ceiling, and I don't disagree with that. But the question is, what is his ceiling? Like, I think that's the question, and I think we've just seen limitations. And again, not to like kind of oversimplify things here, but like I don't think Jalen Hurts is like very good at throwing the football. I like, get a basic level, and 
is this really so crazy to posit when you think about how this is a player who was benched for Tua Tungavailoa, who a lot of people do not like and are not high on outside right. of Miami in a national championship game. And obviously that was some time ago. And I think Jalen Hurts is better th- now than he is then. And I think he's probably better than Tua is. Um, but still, like, you know, that's that kind of player. There are limitations here. And for, in, in fairness, he's very young. I think he's only 23. So it's possible he gets better. And, you know, you add A.J. Brown and you have Devontae Smith in year two, and now Dallas Goddard as the full-time number one instead of splitting time with Zach Ertz. I, I am totally allowing for the, for the path to improvement, but I also look at how he played a lot of games in college. I know he's young, but he played a lot of football bet- between both Alabama and Oklahoma, and I just feel like we've seen enough of a sample size to see some of these common problems in terms of not getting the ball out quick, not working the middle of the field, not really being able to you know go out left. He really loves to roll to his right, and that's kind of like his bread and butter. And the Bucks took that way in the playoff game, and he couldn't, he didn't have any response to that. So again, uh, it, it just probably sounds like I'm negative about Jalen Hurts, <laughs> and it's tough because like I, I want him to be the guy. I'm not rooting against him, but I think the reality is that like I think the Eagles could. And I hope it doesn't reach this point, kind of get stuck with him and a guy who, you know, like they, they might talk themselves into him and the players love him and everything. But I just don't think he's that guy that you want to pay a big money contract to. I don't think he's that guy who's going to carry this team as much as he needs to be carried by the team or they're winning with him. With the extra draft capital you guys had, was there any attempts or talks at, at getting in on the trade carousel that, that everybody took part in in the offseason? This year, because I mean, if if it if it wasn't bolted down, somebody made a trade for it during the off season this year. Sure, I mean the Eagles were absolutely interested in Russell Wilson, okay, and he didn't want to come to Philly. Um, they were also interested in Deshaun Watson, and from yeah. my understanding, there, brother. I, I know, but my under- and that was dating back to last year, mm-hmm. and who knows if they would have made the trade? I can't say for sure or outbid the Browns or whatever, but there was legitimate interest. And that's just not like passing interest. Like I think some people kind of like to like throw it out there. Like, oh, you know, of course they would look into that. Like, no, they're looking into that because they have some kind of lack of confidence in their current guy. Um, obviously, they didn't make a move, and Jalen Hurts is the guy. But they certainly looked into those options, and they also made a trade with the Saints. Now, to be clear, a lot of people have said that, oh, you make that deal no matter who the quarterback is, picking up a first-round pick in 2023, and then also the Saints' second-round pick in 2024. And I agree, there's some truth to that, but I think it'd be incredibly naive to think that the possibility of a Jalen Hurts you know, exit strategy, being able to pivot from him, wasn't a factor in making that deal. Um, and of course, will be coming up after this season again, if he does not play at the high, at the high level, that is probably going to demand a contract. So, yeah, I know I think there's absolutely a chance next this, this 2023 offseason that the Eagles will be very much involved again if there is a quarterback market out there. Well, credit to Howie Roseman then because he kind of did uh, – he kind of accomplished both goals. It's like, number one, he got some more uh, weapons with, with the A.J. Brown trade on, on draft day, and he also put himself in a position to replace the quarterback if those things don't work out. So – I mean, it's kind of masterful what he ended up doing. So he does have two first-round picks next year, plus an, you know an extra second-rounder that he can use as ammunition as well to kind of move up and down the board uh, to go after somebody because for what's supposed to be a much better quarterback class in 2023. 
Yeah, Howie Roseman's had a great offseason. And this is coming from someone who has criticized him a lot in the past, and I think he deserves a lot of that. I don't think I think there's been some uh hindsight uh in terms of like, well actually, you know, everyone was dumb for criticizing Howie. And it's like, no, they weren't because he really kind of took them from the Super Bowl team and they devolved into what they were in 2020 with the 4-11 and 1 record and he played a big part in that. Now again, to his credit, uh he has turned it around since then, but there's, you know, still a lot to prove in terms of you know putting together a roster that can beat good teams and finding a legitimate franchise quarterback. So there's still work to be done, but again, to his credit, I think he's had a good offseason. I think the Eagles are on paper at least headed in the right direction and are on a good track and they have flexibility and options. So that's all very positive. But, uh, you know, it's not like a job well done just yet. He still has, uh, you know, work to do. Looking at the free agent additions, it was uh, a lot of re-signs. Re-signed Derek Barnett, re-signed Fletcher Cox, re-signed Boston Scott. You stole James Bradbury from the Giants because they couldn't afford him uh, anymore. So that was awesome. But I mean, it's like, and then the, the I think your 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 prize for the free agency market was Hassan Reddick signing him away from the mm-hmm. uh, Panthers. You know, but so it seems like heavy on the defense, wanting to make sure that uh, you're giving the offense a better shot, not having to try to score forty to beat everybody this year. Yeah, there are four players in the NFL over the past two years who have more sacks than Hassan Reddick. So that's definitely, I think, kind of an underrated signing, especially in the context of the Eagles having this busy offseason where they added some big names and A.J. Brown and Nicobe Dean in the third round and drafting Jordan Davis. Like I think Hassan Reddick kind of gets forgotten about because that was just earlier in the year back in March. But he's going to be an impact player, I expect, for this team. Um, I mentioned A.J. Brown. I mentioned Jordan Davis being able to kind of put him in. I would say for a criticism of Howie Roseman, some of his worst moves were those re-signings in terms of Fletcher Cox. The Eagles cut him. And there really wasn't like a big need to bring him back considering he's been a declining player. I believe he only has something like four and a half sacks in his last 22 games. And, you know, to pay him the money that he did after they cut him, I just I don't really get that. And also bringing Derek Barnett back isn't a disaster in terms of it's not like you'll spend a ton. But still, I just think like they know what he is. And I don't think we've seen um, anything that we need to we don't need to see anything more in terms of untapped potential with him. I know he's younger, but. Uh, he's been around for four seasons now or five seasons now. And I just think we've kind of seen the most we can see out of Derek Barnett. So, you know, that, those are minor things to quibble about when you look at the entire scope of the off season. Uh, but I would say those are two bad moves, but you know, the Reddick signing and all those other additions that I added, like those, those, those are big because that this roster needed talent and the Eagles added pieces. And I will uh, add the caveat in here that, you know, things always look good on paper and don't always match up in reality. That's the right. nature of the NFL. But for now, as we look at it, it does look encouraging. Yeah. And, um, you know, it seemed like you were a little light on the free agent losses. Steve Nelson is off to Houston. Hassan Ridgeway signs with the 49ers. Uh, Alex Singleton goes to the Broncos. But other than that, I, you know, didn't really see any. Household names departing the franchise this year. Yeah, I think you have to give, and that's another area where I would give Howie Roseman credit in terms of being able to identify their own. And that's been to a detriment at points. Again, I brought up the Cox thing where they might overvalue their own players a little too much sometimes. I guess you could say the positive is that is they're going to take care of their guys for the most part. Yeah. So maybe the you know the price you pay for that is overvaluing 
one or two guys too many. Um, but yeah, they've locked everyone up. Uh, there wasn't anyone really major that they lost. Even Nelson was a starter, but you added James Bradbury. That's arguably an upgrade. Um, I think at least from a potential standpoint, an upside standpoint. And then all the other Alex Singleton actually led the Eagles last year in linebacker snaps played, but TJ Edwards is going to come on here. They signed Kaiser White in free agency, another kind of underrated signing by them. And then they drafted Nicobe Dean, who a lot of people, you know, thought could be the stealer thing, could be the steal of the draft in the third round. Um, so even the guys they lost, they, they got upgrades or, or guys who you feel good about. So what what was the injury about Nicobe Dean? Because I'm, I'm, you know, I kept hearing like on draft day that talent wise, he should have been a first round pick, but because of some injury that he's not fully recovered from that's why he fell to the late third round yeah it's it's weird it seems to be kind of a pectoral issue i think also kind of just the um, accumulation of injuries during his tenure even though he didn't miss a lot of time and also just his smaller stature mm-hmm. i think maybe scared some teams off i would be remiss to say like I just think it's a little too easy for Eagles fans and people to be like, oh, the Eagles outsmarted everyone and got him at 83 and everyone else is so dumb. And maybe that's the case. But uh, Giants general manager, for what it's worth, uh, Joe Shane, did say like there was a reason he fell and he wouldn't get into it, which is a little weird. But he did say that. And I have you know, I tend to believe that players fall for some reason. It might not be a good reason again in the end, but there was something clearly that made teams a little bit more nervous than we thought they would be. So. I'm still kind of like cautiously optimistic there. Like I'm kind of waiting for a shoe to drop. I'm waiting to see like, okay, um, is he going to be fully on the field in training camp? Is he going to have a setback? You know, I, I'm still kind of waiting for that. Um, but for right now, as far as we know, everything is good. All right. Uh, you know, because I just heard like, you know, talent wise, this is one of the, the, the top, top guys still on the board. And he lasted until 83 when you guys, uh, finally snatched him up, and, and I just remember it was it had to be an injury. I just couldn't remember which one or what kind of uh, injury uh, it was. Like I was thinking, I was thinking maybe it was like a neck injury or something like that, like something that could affect the length of his career, uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's why he kept falling down uh, the board. But uh, your first round pick, uh, Jordan Davis, might be the beast of the draft. Um, you know, as a as a fellow fat guy, you love to see a fat guy, uh, you know, get drafted uh, high. And, and then they show the highlights where the fat guy defies logic and does non-fat guy things uh, to justify his draft uh, position. Uh, so I, I look forward to seeing what he can do uh, in the league because he was a man amongst boys in the SEC of all things. In terms of, you know, trackable measurements, uh, Jordan Davis is the second most athletic prospect ever just yeah. behind Calvin Johnson, which is a crazy <laughs> thing to say. Um, nuts. Just, I mean, he's huge. He can move like it, it's, it's just freakish. It's flat out freakish what he can do. And everyone wants to point to the lack of pass rushing numbers. That's kind of a concern with him. Like, okay, is this guy worth a first round pick? let alone where the Eagles got him at 13 or 50. I can't remember, but you know, early in the first, yeah, early in the first round there. Um, And I think you kind of have to add context here. And I think you look at some of the great defenses or or Super Bowl winning teams, and they've had these kind of big nose tackle types. I think of a Casey Hampton. I think of a Vince Wilfork. You know, I think of Haloti Nada. I think of Vita Vea, you know, even recently. Um, the Bears for a while had Eddie Goldman. Not that they won a Super Bowl, but, you know, they had, you know, for whatever success they had on defense, yeah. he was part of that. So there's definitely, like, value in having a player like that. And I also think 
the sacks, the lack of sacks don't tell the whole story. I mean, Trayvon Walker didn't have a ton, and he went number one overall, and maybe that wasn't a great pick by the Jags. That's a whole other topic. But the point is, like, there weren't a lot of players on that Georgia defensive line who put big sack numbers on the stat sheet. Yeah. And part of that is, I think, because how they wanted to play. I don't know how familiar you are with Georgia or the listeners are with Georgia, but I was kind of looking into this when I was looking at Jordan Davis as a potential Eagles target. And they really wanted to two gap and they want to really wanted to control things up front as much as, as, as opposed to, you know, having defensive linemen just fly up the field and attack the quarterback. So I think part of that was how they played. I think part of it was that Georgia was so stacked that they didn't even play their starters like the whole game. Like they would get up big and then they would put, uh, you know, the recruits in or, or the guys on the, the back of the depth chart because they didn't want them to transfer to other schools. Like they wanted to give them playing time. So I think there are multiple factors in there. Uh, I think Jordan Davis, even if he doesn't post big sack numbers here, will allow the Eagles to devote less resources to their coverage just by the attention he will draw up front and kind of make life easier on some of his fellow defensive linemen. So I'm very excited about him. He is who the, why I wanted the Eagles to draft uh, in the first round. It was really him and Jamison Williams. Obviously, Jamo went off the board to the Lions before the Eagles were on the clock. So can't feel too bad about that. Uh, but to get Jordan Davis, that was really exciting to me. Yeah, and then uh, later on, a few picks later, when you had the 18th uh, overall uh, selection, uh, Adam Schefter uh, acting like you saw a ghost <laughs> because of the trade that went down because uh, A.J. Brown uh, was, was uh, who whom Mike Vrabel said, as long as I'm coach, he will be a Titan, <laughs> trades away A.J. Brown, sends him off to the uh, Eagles, and then Howie Roseman gives him the fat four-year, $100 million uh, contract fifty seven million guaranteed, giving him the money he wanted uh, in Tennessee. It cost you a first and a third uh, this season. Yeah, I mean AJ Brown's only twenty four. I think that's kind of crazy. Yeah, um, this is a guy who like can be around here for a very long time, and I think that was part of the trade. I think part of the reason the Eagles weren't involved for let's say you know like Tyreek Hill or some of these other big names who removed at receiver was in part because I think those players didn't necessarily want to play in Philly where the Eagles are just coming off this season where they had the you know heaviest run offense in the NFL. And I think part of it is because they didn't necessarily fit this team's timeline. Um, I don't think the Eagles necessarily think they're like 100% ready to win now with Jalen Hurts. I think they would like to be. Obviously, they're shooting for that, but I think they have some long-term sights in mind. And I think adding A.J. Brown was part of that now. AJ Brown and Hertz have a relationship. So, you know, that's a nice bonus, but I don't think that's the entire reason you do the trade. I think you do the trade because AJ Brown is a really good wide receiver. I would argue he's a little undervalued in terms of you look at his volume stats. And I've been talking a lot about how the Eagles you know, have a very run heavy offense. Well, so do the Tennessee Titans. Yes, indeed. When you have the best running back in the NFL or, you know, top two and Derrick Henry. So, you know, A.J. Brown wasn't really able to put up those volume numbers because the Titans just weren't throwing the ball, but he was very efficient. And you look at in terms of yards per route run, which is a PFF stat, and he's like top, top five, you know, top two. He, he's a consistently been an elite producer in that regard. Um, and the Eagles needed help at receiver because they had Devontae Smith and 
not a lot else that you feel amazing about, specifically at receiver. Um, you know, I think now that you have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Quez Watkins, who you don't really feel as good about as a two as much as you feel like he can kind of contribute as a three or rotate with Zach Paschal, and all of a sudden the Eagles have a really good receiving core, or at least, you know, one that looks a lot better on paper than it did last year when you had a rookie Devontae Smith, Jalen Rager, who's been terrible, and Quez Watkins. So um, it was a big upgrade for the Eagles. And then my other favorite pick uh, of yours was your second rounder, Cam Jurgens, the center from Nebraska, who's going to be the heir apparent um, at, at center uh, for you guys. I mean, I even saw the video where Jason Kelsey found out you guys drafted a center in the second round, and he was, God bless him, excited uh, about it uh, and everything. It's like, you know, you bring him back for, for one more year. Do, do you kind of envision that possibly, like, best-case scenario – this will be a year where Jason Kelsey starts like weeks one through eight and then Cam Jurgen takes over as the season progresses into the deep uh, part of it. I, I don't love this pick. This is a little pick that I feel like I am I, I, or a pick that I am lower on than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's in part not because it's, it's multiple reasons. One, I'm not necessarily convinced that Jurgens was the best player on the board at that time. Um, two, I think you don't need to draft uh, in like have a someone you don't need an air at center. Like if you look at the history of centers taken, I think in like the first two rounds, there aren't guys who are sitting. Like they're playing right away. Like you don't need to, to groom a guy like that at center. I just don't think that's what you need to do. If you're burning a year of a rookie contract, and also. I'm not convinced that Jason Kelsey is like definitely walking away after this season. I know he's given thought to retirement before. He's been year to year, so I don't blame the Eagles in theory for thinking about a contingency plan. But Jason Kelsey is just coming off an all-pro season. And I think it was his third in a row or fourth. Uh, it's like third or fourth out of the last several years. The point is he's playing at an incredibly high level still. So, you know, I don't think he's going to the bench anytime soon. And I don't know that he definitely needs to retire, wants to retire anytime soon. So, you know, uh, and the other thing about Jurgens is he has no demonstrated ability to play guard. So it's not as simple as like, okay, you just kind of bump him over to guard. I mean, maybe he can do that. But he's on the lighter side, and he doesn't have experience doing that. So that's a bit of a projection there. So I don't love that pick as much. I think, you know, it's nice in theory, the idea that, okay, Kelsey walks away after this season, and you put Jurgens in there, and there isn't that much of a drop-off. But, I mean, that's I also think that's kind of not respectful enough to Kelsey, who is a future Hall of Famer and is incredible. And it's not that, you know, Jurgens necessarily needs to live up to that level to be a good pick. But I, I'm just, you know, I'm a little more in the uh, wait and see on that one and than I am thinking it's oh it's an amazing pick okay (laughs) now i I agree with you that there was probably better um better talent on the board uh at 51 especially with um uh what was it perkins or pickens the wide receiver from georgia was still on the board uh at that point because he went 52 to the uh steelers how do i know that because 52 was the bears originally (laughs) so uh you know Actually, that's not true. At one point it was. Anyway, long story. But, uh, you know, the Steelers ended up taking him at 52. And, um, you know, so that, that is what it is and uh, everything. So, I mean, there were, there were – it was a deep draft as far as, like, the, two, the first two rounds uh, win, especially with some teams taking some shots in the first round, like uh, the Patriots taking uh, Cole Strange at 29 overall when everybody thought he'd still be there to be had – in the fourth round uh, kind of thing. You know, there were a few picks like that. We're like, really? That guy? And, you know, and uh, what's his name? Daniel Jeremiah going nuts over the fact that uh, 
uh, Johnson, the, the defensive end from Florida State, was still on the board at 26 when the Jets finally t- traded back into the round to, to get him. So there were people to be had in the second round that were supposed to go in the first or early second that probably could have uh, you know, satisfied your taste buds there in the second round for you. Yeah, or, you know, there's always the, I think, the trading down kind of looked a little appealing there, especially because after the maneuvers uh, on day one for the Eagles, they only had four more picks in the entire 2022 right. draft. They only made five, five picks in total. So that seemed like, you know, a, a nice spot to potentially be able to trade down. But, I mean, again, I'm not saying it's an F-minus pick or anything, but I just think some people are thinking a little too, are getting a little too ahead of themselves and just thinking it's, okay, Kelsey, one more year, and then Jurgens next year, and we don't miss a beat. Like, I don't, uh, you know, that's that's definitely the best case scenario but that doesn't mean it's guaranteed to happen right so let's uh talk about this 2022 uh schedule because um at least there weren't any uh scheduling snafus like i don't know if the nfl just got lazy because i just spoke with my uh i keep wanting to say redskins it's gonna take me a while to get used to this commanders thing Hmm. um my commanders guy uh, a few days ago and talking about how their last five games were all divisional games. For you, it was five out of the last six. You had the Giants, mm-hmm. then the Jets, Commanders, Giants, Commanders, Cowboys was your last six games uh, of the uh, regular season. It seems like the NFL actually shuffled the deck a little bit for the schedule uh, this time around. You don't have a bunch of divisional games clustered at the end of the season like you did this year. Yeah, I mean, I still, I, I'm really pining for the Eagles to play the Cowboys in week one. It hasn't happened, I think, since like early 2000s, just because there's been a lot of meaningless Eagles-Cowboys games, like there just was last year. Um, so that's one thing that bothers me. I mean, that's not happening this year, to be clear. The Eagles play the Cowboys in Texas on Christmas Eve. Um, so that, that you know, figures to be a pretty interesting matchup. Could end up kind of deciding the division. Uh, on the whole, I think you just look at this Eagles schedule, And the quarterbacks that they play are not that intimidating. Like (laughs) the Eagles have one of the easiest schedules in the league. And I think, I mean, even if like you're kind of like down on this team uh, or not totally buying in, I still think you get to like nine wins, nine, 10 wins. If you're just going win loss and looking at the opponents they have and, and, you know, the the court, just from a quarterback matchup perspective, I think you can give the Eagles an advantage in this. And that's me saying that even though I don't feel necessarily amazing about Jalen hurts. Um, so yeah. And it's, it's kind of, uh, like a good and bad thing. Good in the sense that the Eagles can have, they're primed for like a good year in 2022, but bad from a standpoint of, okay, Last year, we saw the Eagles not be able to beat a good team. It would kind of be nice to get the answer to that question this year. Like, can they actually do that? And it feels like we actually might have to wait until the playoffs. Right, because uh, you start off, you're at the at Detroit uh, to kick off the season. Then, um, is it Monday night against the Vikings? Yep, it's a Monday night football game. Yeah, I think that's home. a doubleheader that night. Okay, uh, home for the Vikings on Monday night football, then... At the Commanders, home for the Jaguars. So we're talking uh, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, uh, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz. And uh, Trevor Lawrence in the first four weeks. So, um, you know, unless uh, Trevor Lawrence takes a big step in year number two, there's not much to be afraid of those first four weeks. 
Yeah, and you know Doug Peterson coming back to Philadelphia is obviously a big storyline sure. for that uh, Jaguars game. Will be very interesting to see what the team kind of does to acknowledge him. Hopefully they do something good because he deserves it. <laughs> they won the Super Bowl, um, but yeah, you know there's a real opportunity for the Eagles to kind of get off to a, a good start in these first few weeks here. The Lions scare me a little bit in Week One. I feel like Dan Campbell, you know, is going to have that team ready to play and be like, no one's taking us, and kind of have that team already for week one so i mean we'll see about that but uh you know i think uh you you feel good about the eagles being able to probably get at least two from this if not three well god forbid if something happens week one and the lions should win let me tell you a story that could make you feel better about the future uh, of the season um 1996 season uh the chicago bears are hosting the defending world champion dallas cowboys at soldier field on monday night football to kick off the season um, the Bears take the defending world champs to the woodshed. I mean, absolutely dominate from pillar to post. They knocked out Emmett Smith with a neck injury. I mean, Brian Cox, who was in his either his first or second year uh, with the Bears, is sacking Troy Aikman, you know, left and right. I mean, we absolutely just obliterated the Cowboys week number one. <laughs> we went 6-10 and ten that year, 7-9, and nine, something <laughs> like that. Didn't even sniff the... Uh, playoffs uh, that year. So what week of week one victory does not a season uh, make, we, you know, even though we beat the best team in the NFL, so to speak that first week, we were, <laughs> we were never that team again for the rest of mm-hmm. the year. So if the lions throw up, throw the kitchen sink at you and pull one out of their ass week one, don't let the, don't let it sink your whole season. Worst things in the world have happened. So you guys uh, can recover. Like you said, you got Kirk Cousins on the horizon. You're going to be fine. So um, Yeah, week, week one can get wonky, admittedly. Yes, yes yeah. indeed. Uh, I've seen it happen. Man, I mean, hell, look, last year, the uh, the Steelers go into Buffalo and beat the Bills week one. Right. You know, I mean, and, and really, you know, kind of put it to them uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Those two teams were not the same team at the end of – Year, I mean, Pittsburgh was that that seven seed that kind of snuck their way in, uh, you know, the back door to the playoffs, only to be embarrassed by the Chiefs, and the Bills were an overtime rule change away from an AFC championship appearance. So, you know, they were very different teams by the end of the uh, year. So, we move on to Week Five, and here's where the quarterback talent kicks up a tick. You have Arizona uh, on the road, and then you're home for the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. So. We got um, what's his name in Arizona? I'm just blanking on his name for some reason. Kyler Murray. Thank you very much, Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott before your week seven uh, bye week. So uh, you get a little bit uptick in competition before you get a uh, an early break in the in the season. Yeah, so you know, looking at that stretch there, um, don't fully know what to make of the Cardinals. It feels like Cliff Kingsbury could kind of be on the hot seat. I mean, yeah. the Cardinals certainly didn't end good last year. I think they went like one and five in their last six. Yeah. Um, certainly on the downswing. I think and they've the whole... done that every year he's been coached, though. Because yes, the Cardinals were the reason the Bears made the playoffs in 2020. Because the Cardinals right. absolutely went to pieces in like the six or the last six or seven games and that's when the bears went on that odd three game winning streak over the, <laughs> right. the texans the vikings and you know and the you know whoever the hell the third team was i can't remember the jaguars jesus christ mm. who won week one and didn't win another game for the rest of the year so uh yeah and that's what got the bears into the playoffs but i mean the the cardinals the, the last couple of seasons they did it 
uh, in 2020 and missed the playoffs. And then last year, they went from being 10-2, and two, the number one seed in the NFC, mm. to barely squeaking in with, like, the five or the six seed uh, last year. So, I mean, it was uh, touch and go there for a while. If, if I think even if they manage to make the playoffs somehow, uh, and they have, but they have another one of this, you know, like ten and two, nine and three starts, and then peter out at the end. They probably do have to move on for him. It's like we got to figure out if we can find a guy who can win in November and December when the games actually mean something. It's like nine and three is great, but it doesn't mean much when you finish eleven and six. Well, yeah, or if they just get off to a pretty bad start, yeah. it's not like you're going to have then the you're screwed optimism. in the second half of the year. Yeah, right. It's like okay, we can turn it around. It's like no, you can't because you never do that. Um, and one thing to consider here uh, with the Cardinals taking a step back and struggling late last year is they didn't have DeAndre Hopkins, and it seems like they might not have him for this game because there, you know, there's the uh, suspension. Yeah, the first six, him. you're definitely not going to see him. Yep. Yeah. So then, you know, that's a big boon for the Eagles in that matchup. Um, the Cowboys game is a tough one. It's really hard to predict a win for the Eagles when you look at how Jalen Hurts has done when he has gone up against the Cowboys. And it's only been two games. Uh, one, when he was a rookie in 2020, at the end of a very bad season for the Eagles. Although, you know, the Cowboys only had Andy Dalton back there. It wasn't like they had Dak um, and got blown out. And then last year, Monday Night Football, he was also got blown out. So, you know, that's another kind of box for Jalen Hurts to check. Like, can you beat the Eagles' biggest division rival? And not only can you, be, I mean, obviously beating them, ideal, but can you at least, like, be competitive in a game with them? Because you really haven't done that yet. And it's not all on him, but he is certainly a factor in that. So that's going to be a big one that you can't just assume they're going to win. Um, but, yeah, then they have the bye. Steelers, that looks like a winnable game. Traditionally, historically, the Steelers do not do well in Philly. They haven't won a game in Philly since, like, the 60s, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and then the Texans, you know, they're not necessarily one of the uh, toughest-looking teams in the league. But that's a short break. you got the Texans on Thursday, mm-hmm. Thursday night. So after your bye week, you have two games in five days uh, kind of thing. But then you get the the mini buy and a little bit of a longer break because you got another Monday night game against the Commanders uh, this time. Another one, and all three of your Monday night games are at home uh, this year. Week two against the Vikings, week six against the Cowboys, week ten against the Commanders, all at home. That's mm. interesting. Uh, then at the Colts, where you'll see Matt Ryan because he was traded to Indianapolis, um, and home for the Packers on Sunday night football. There's a test for you. Yeah, I mean, Wentz coming back to Philly, it's tough because like, it loses some of the juice with the fact that they already played them earlier in the year. And for all we know, Carson Wentz, who's had injury issues, might, might not even be available for that game. <laughs> right. Um, that would be a bummer for the narrative's sake. Uh, but, yeah, the Packers one is the most significant, I would say, just from a standpoint of, okay, you're going up against Aaron Rodgers. You're in Philly. That should be a game that, you know, if you're a real team that – you're at least, you know, taking this down to the wire and looking like you belong in that game. And if you're not, well, then that's kind of a bad tone for like the final stretch, even though you're going to be able to probably beat up on some of these winnable games like Giants twice uh, at the Bears, all due respect. And uh, we'll get to them. But uh, but yeah, if they don't look like they belong at that point. That's kind of going to be troubling. Here's the thing. I can't argue against that right now because I don't know what our football team is at this moment, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not necessarily not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that all the change that all the changes that Ryan Poles has made, we got this brand new uh, coaching staff uh, that's that's come in, and, you know, and they're, they're they're whispering all the sweet nothings in our ears. Like, you know, when I was talking about 
you know, uh, Nagy and his rigidness with his system and all that kind of stuff. They're talking about putting our guys in the best position to succeed. We're going to do what they do well. We're going to play to our strengths and, you know, try to hide our weaknesses uh, kind of thing, which is especially helpful on what we, you know, what is not exactly a talent-rich roster. We got plenty of talented guys, but it's not one that, I mean, but we don't know. Maybe the, the new, the head coach and the new regime, the new offense can spark something. Because, I mean, we saw it happen in 2018 when Nagy came into town. So, I mean, anything mm-hmm. is possible. But I have no idea. Not, not only did, you know, not only do we have this new coaching staff with this new offensive system, we're going back to the 4-3 from the 3-4, but we also have like 60% of a brand new roster uh, on top of it. You know, we traded Camille, uh, Khalil Amak away. There's, still, there's rumors we still might get rid of Robert Quinn uh, at some point, especially when he didn't show up to the mandatory mm-hmm. workouts uh, and, and, and things like that. So we might be without our two best pass rushers entering in the year one of a defensive coach's, uh, you know, new regime uh, and everything. So it's like, you know, I was going to make the joke like, yeah, you have the Cowboys on Christmas Eve after you receive a savage beating from the Bears in Chicago the week before. (laughs) But, you know, you saying you're going to come into, you know, in Chicago and kick the crap out of us. Right now I can't argue against it because I don't know what, I mean, I have a better feel for it when we have you back on the show in December to preview that Mm -hmm. game. But right here, right now, I don't know. We got Justin Fields. We got Darnell Mooney. We got Montgomery. I'm happy about all of that. Uh, we held on to, you know, we got Roquan Smith. Who knows what's going on with Eddie Jackson? Maybe he'll finally show up again this year. We got Robert Quinn, supposedly, at least legally, we still have him. So we got some things uh, to build around. I like the picks defensively that we made in the in the draft and everything. So, you know, the, the arrow is pointing up, I mean, but there's nowhere else for it to go right now. So, but if you listen to the experts... We're going to own the first or second pick in the draft next year, so I have no idea what uh, you know what what the hell my team is going to be. It's it's all hopes and dreams uh, at this point. So, like I said, when when we have you back on in December to preview Week 15 between the Bears and the Eagles, obviously we'll have a better idea because the season will be practically over uh, at that point. But right here, right now, <laughs> on June 28th, that we're having this conversation, no idea, dude, no idea. So, yeah. Um, and again, like just if we if we're to assume, and that's a you know, dangerous thing to do when it comes <laughs> to the NFL. But if we're to assume the Eagles, you know, can kind of take care of the lesser teams, which sure. they were able to do last year. You know, I, I would put the Bears in that category. I mean, just so would I. I mean, looking, I would looking at the offensive line. I mean, I I honestly don't know who some of these guys are, like a Larry Borum or a Sam Mustafer. Uh, like this offensive line looks a little suspect to me. Sam Mustafer, that's a touchy subject. I don't know if you heard what happened with Olin Krutz. Uh, no, about a, a couple of months ago. Well, they 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 started this brand new. Well, they is in you know he was part of it, but they started this brand new sports channel type thing. It's on YouTube and it's mm-hmm. called CHGO, and it's all Chicago sports. I mean, every every team has its own podcast, its own podcast team. It's outstanding, fantastic stuff. So if you're a Cubs fan, you got a Cubs podcast. The White Sox, the Bulls, the Blackhawks. They even have one for the freaking Chicago Sky. Okay, I mean, they, they got it covered. And Olin Krutz was part of the Bears show. And uh, so was Adam Hogue, one of the Bears' uh, longtime beat writers. And apparently Adam Hogue was saying a few things, uh, a few saucy things about Sam Mustafer, somebody that Olin Krutz is close to and personally trains during the offseason. 
And the next thing you know, we're seeing memos on Twitter about how Olin Cruz has been let go because he put his hands on a fellow mm-hmm. employee. So <laughs> I'd watch it with Sam Mustafer if I were you. So just, just saying, if Olin well, Cruz catches one, I've had Olin on the show, he might be listening. So you might want to be cool about how you talk about Sam Mustafer. He'll come looking for you. So, well, uh, sorry, Olin. Yes. But, uh, I will say he's definitely not an all-pro kind of player. I will no, say that definitely not. Least. No. Um, and then just the receivers too, you know, Eklund, you know, C. Brown, yeah. um, Byron Pringle, Vilas, they draft Vilas Jones. Everyone's laughing about how old he is. Right. Um, it's like what, like twenty four. So is twenty five. Twenty five, actually, or at least oh, he will be when the season starts. Yeah, he turned so. twenty five in May. Jeez. Right. Um, so like you know, and and then honestly, uh, to to anger a lot of your listeners, I have not been the biggest Justin Fields believer. And this was going back to last year, going okay. into like the season. And look, I get that. He hasn't been in an ideal situation to thrive. I'm not asking him to be, you know, a top 10 quarterback, though, top even 15, but maybe be in top 20. And I don't know that he was really that last year. And obviously, I think there's there's raw tools. There's talent in his body. But, you know, we talked about quarterbacks who hold on to the ball for too long. Yep. And I know he was guilty of that. And I know he wasn't playing behind a good offensive line, but he certainly kind of didn't help it make it any better by holding onto the ball for forever. And I also think about how this is what bothered me last year. This is like my big national take pet peeve that I never really get to talk about on my channel because it's <laughs> not relevant. But my thing was like, there was a, there seemed to be a lot of talk about how, Oh, the bears outsmarted everyone. And they drafted Justin Fields, the Panthers, the Broncos, all these teams passed on him. The bears were the smart ones. And I just had a tough time thinking about Ryan Pace's history with quarterbacks and thinking, oh, yeah, he finally got one over on everyone. He definitely (laughs) got this right. Justin Fields is definitely good. The Bears, who historically have trouble finding good quarterbacks, they definitely got this one right. Like There was just like a lot of assumptions out there to that I saw, at least from my perspective, that like he was going to be this big steal and that he was going to kind of step in in year one even and do some some pretty good things. And we didn't see that. And I almost wonder if your organization, like their level of confidence in him, because it seems like like the, the they're maintaining flexibility and not necessarily like going all in to build up around him right, right. now, um, the way let's say maybe the Chargers are with Justin Herbert and not identical situations, but just to kind of uh, contrast that a little bit. So I have a lot of questions about Justin Fields, and I hope for your sake and Bears fans' sake he works out and he proves me wrong. But I think he has a lot of proving to do. Is the point? Well, here's the thing: we all feel exactly the same way. Um, we watched all 16, 17 games uh, last year. I think he played in 11 or 12, something like that. Um, the jury is definitely out on what Justin Fields is. But it was also very clear that a lot of the things that were wrong with Justin Fields last year were not exactly his fault. I mean, obviously he did some rookie things, like you said, hanging on to the ball a little too long. But Allen Robinson was completely checked out. Uh, on the team, whether it was by his design or by Nagy and Pace, uh, you know, paying him the $18 million franchise tag and then phasing him out of the offense somehow because his his targets went off a cliff last year. Uh, just r- mm-hmm. ridiculous the, how uninvolved he was uh, in the offense and how uninvolved he appeared to be even when he was on the field. Uh, if not for Darna Mooney, we wouldn't have had a passing game uh, last year because for some reason we decided to keep Jimmy Graham and pay him uh, $9 million, and then we threw him the ball like a dozen times last. And I don't even think that's much of an exaggeration, to be completely honest with you. Um, so, you know, we, we definitely saw flashes 
uh, of brilliance, the way that he played that Monday night game against the Steelers, that throw he makes to Mooney in mm-hmm. the end zone to take the lead late in the game, that run that he had against the 49ers that I'm sure everybody has seen uh, a foul because it was one of the better plays made in the NFL last year was what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen all of that. And it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag right now. Some people are out mm-hmm. on Justin Fields because he didn't come in and absolutely light up the world. And some people like me are hoping, hoping against hope, wishing against wish, and everything else in between that if this was addition by subtraction when we got rid of Nagy. Because we all yeah. know Nagy's refusal to actually put him in the best position. I mean, it was a running theme all year long. I mean, speaking of Olin Krutz, he was also part of the postgame show on NBC Sports uh, in Chicago. And I watched that show every single week. And each week it was him and Lance Briggs and Alex Brown uh, always talking about where, was the, where were the screenplays? Where were the rollouts? Where were this? You know, this is a mobile quarterback. He, you know, he's not ready yet to stand back in, in the pocket and get rid of the ball inside of three seconds kind of thing. You got to move him around the pocket. Let him move his feet. Let him... Uh, move around let him you know because he reads the field well he's got an accurate arm you just got to get him out of harm's way and they left him out there you know five offensive linemen no help from the tight ends no chip blocks from the running backs he was basically being feasted on more times than not with our shifty offensive uh, line and and being thrown to the wolves you know so being a rookie Mm -hmm. with that you know is is what we got from Justin Fields so we're hoping that you know, the guy that we traded up to draft 11th overall, a guy that a lot of people thought was a steal when we got him uh, at 11. And like you said, Ryan Pace got one over on everybody else and uh, and all that. We're hoping that that plan, fan, uh, you know, pans out when mm-hmm. we have this coaching staff that is, if they, you know, stick to their word, going to put him in the best position to succeed and make sure that uh, we're, we're hiding those faults instead of, emphasizing them because what Nagy wants to do offensively does not jive with what, what Justin Fields was good at uh, coming into uh, the NFL. So, I mean, there's a lot of uh, mixed optimism with Justin Fields. Some people are out and think he's garbage and we should just move on to the next one. We got a new regime, let them pick their own quarterback, that kind of thing. Other ones are like, dude, Nagy was a huge problem. I mean, look at what mm-hmm. he did to, to Mitch. Look at what he did, and then look at what he did. You know, on top of that, with Justin Fields, I mean, like people are changing their minds about what happened to Mitch Trubisky out here in Chicago after what they saw him do with Justin Fields uh, in twenty twenty one. So, like I said, I have no idea what kind of football team I have as far as like, are we going to beat the Eagles week fifteen, or are the Eagles going to come out there and beat the piss out of us? Who knows uh, at this point? I just have no idea, and we don't know what to do, what to expect. I mean, we know what to hope for. We know we've seen the flashes of brilliance and all that kind of stuff from Fields, but will he be that? Time will tell, and we're hoping that you know these are the guys that are going to help him do that as opposed to Nagy, who seemed to throw up every roadblock that he could because he wanted to win his way as opposed to doing the best, doing what he could to win. Right, and uh, I don't think the book has been written on Justin Fields no, by any means, but I also, yeah. I also think like I think some people think it's like. 
the rookie season is a wash. You can't even consider it part of the evaluation. Like, no, I'm not saying you're saying that, or a lot, maybe a lot of Bears fans are even saying that. But I just, as a general thing, I think fans tend to be like, well, we changed the coach, so you wipe the slate clean. To me, you don't wipe the slate clean. Like There no, are bad things there, all. and those are concerns. And that doesn't mean um, it's doomed, but it does mean those are like some red flags that you kind of have to wonder about. I think, I just, I tend to think people are like a little too forgiving towards players and just hmm. think like they can naturally fix anything or grow out of everything. Yeah. And I tend to think, this is just a me thing, but I tend to think coaches take a lot of blame too because they're easy to blame and they're easy to replace a lot of times compared to players. Um, and I just, I think about how, you know, Doug Peterson took a lot of blame for Carson Wentz stinking in 2020. And a lot of people said Doug Peterson like broke Carson Wentz. And I think that was like, I didn't think that was true at the time. And I think that didn't age well, that kind of take when you look at what Carson Wentz and how he kind of melted down, especially at the end of the season with the Jags last year, right. or, or sorry, with the Colts last year against the Jags, um, Doug, Doug Peterson's new team. So, you know, sometimes the player is to blame too, is the point. But, but yeah, again, for the sake of Bears fans, not for the sake of the Eagles, but for the sake of the uh, Bears fans outside of uh, that game on December 18th, I hope Justin Fields defies uh, the situation and defies the doubters and, and does well. I hope he defies franchise history uh, as well. We don't exactly have a great track record uh, with quarterbacks, considering our our last true pro bowler was Jim McMahon, and Mitch made it as an alternate uh, in 2018. So, <laughs> you know, he kind of slid in the back door uh, on that one. Technically a pro bowler, but... Proving the pro bowl is meaningless. <laughs> yes, it wasn't voted in to the pro bowl. But... Um, you know, and in the also as far as like how they're building the team around him, that's on Ryan Pace because uh, he left the cupboard bare. I think we had like twenty five, thirty million in cap space, and we had five draft picks going into uh, the off season. Somehow, Ryan Poles was able to turn five into eleven draft choices, and you know, uh, like the guys that he signed: Equinemia, St. Brown, Byron Pringle. Uh, you know, all on short term, like one year prove it deals, but they all seem to have the same thing in common. Like these are guys that, you know, had to fight their way in the league. They had to fight to stay. And now, you know, they're earning another chance to actually make some money uh, in the NFL. And, you know, they're doing it with the, with the bears and, you know, because uh, you know, we're in a position to give a guy's chance uh, this year. So long as you weren't too expensive, we'll bring you in uh, next year. The bears will have, depending on who you ask, Anywhere from eighty to one hundred and twenty million in cap space in twenty twenty three. So I expect that if if we're going to go out there and get some players for Justin Fields to be surrounded by, that's the off season in order to do it. But twenty twenty two is important in making that happen because you got to make Chicago and or Justin Fields a destination for people mm-hmm. to want to come and play. You know, we don't want we don't want to be the AFC the NFC version of the Jaguars where we have to throw the entire checkbook at you in order to get you to come down there. Um, you know, we want you to actually come like, yeah, we're going to pay you, but maybe get a little bit of a, a, a discount because, you know, we're letting you play with Justin Fields and, you know, be a part of his progression. He has to progress in 2022, regardless of who he's out there on the field with. You have to see growth and, you know, you have to prove that Nagy was the problem. Nagy was what was holding you back. So there's still a lot of pressure uh, on Justin Fields to perform uh, this year. But um, I think mentally he can he can handle it, and, and we know that physically he has the tools. It's just a matter of getting it done. So, Some good Justin Fields talk here. Yeah, uh. good stuff. So, but And, you know, like I said, to 
with with with, with you guys and Jalen Hurts, you know, you're you're in a similar situation as far as like your your quarterback. You're not exactly sold on him like we talked about you know Howie Roseman's put himself in a good position he's got some he you know he he got AJ Brown to add to Devontae Smith to add to Dallas Goddard and uh and and things like that uh for the offense but also in a position to be like yeah maybe we use those two first rounders to move into the top five and get ourselves a quarterback uh next year if if Jalen Hurts doesn't exactly light up the world for us uh, in 2022 which will be interesting because, like, you know, it's easy to say that right now. But yeah. then you consider there are four other teams that have an extra first-round pick next year. Right. And I, I forget I don't have it in front of me, but I know, like, the Texans have another first, two or another, like, second. There's teams that I think the Seahawks have, like, an additional second. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some um, – potential roadblocks there to the Eagles just being able to, you know, go up and, and get their guys. So that's going to be interesting to watch. And and part of part of why um, is because the Eagles have the Saints pick and they're playing the Saints late in the schedule Yeah, on, on January 1st. The Eagles uh, have beaten the Saints each of the past two years with Jalen Hurts as the starter. Um, Taysom Hill was the starter in the first game there, and the Saints almost came back. That was in Philly. And then last year, also in Philly, uh, Trevor Simeon was the starter in that game. So... <laughs> Not exactly the the Saints' best effort in terms of their offensive output. Presumably, Jason or sorry, Jamison William or Jameis Winston yeah. will be uh, starting in that game. We'll see. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. You know, again, the double whammy of like do, hope for the Eagles' sake, hopefully knocking out another playoff competitor and improving the draft pick that you get from them. So that's going to be an interesting game coming off of the heels of the Cowboys game, which again I think could be like realistically for the division. And though I said earlier, like I don't necessarily feel like the Eagles deserve the benefit of the doubt uh, where they are in terms of like going up against the Cowboys and beating them. I will say Dallas has not had a good off season. I think anyone can kind of agree with that. Right. I think Cowboys fans will say that much. And you just look at the history of the NFC East and there hasn't been a repeat winner since 2004. It's right. just the nature of the division that it rotates. And I think the Eagles are kind of on the upswing a little bit while the Cowboys are still you know, in a decent position because they have the best quarterback in the NFC East. But, you know, that roster got worse and Mike McCarthy is not inspiring a ton of confidence and there's talk that. He could get replaced by Sean Payton after this season. So uh, they're in disarray a little bit. So it all sets up for the Eagles to kind of, you know, make the playoffs in some form, whether it's the seventh seed again or being able to win their division and get at least a top four seed. But then again, the question is like, okay, what does this team do in the postseason? Do they make it? And then they look like they can't belong again. And if so, like, okay, like, what's the point of that? The Eagles have loved to tout that they've made the playoffs four out of the last five years, which I, I, I hate so much because why are you celebrating that you made the postseason last year as the seventh seed and then got blown out completely in the first round? Like, that's not an accomplishment. Like, you, you didn't even participate in the game, essentially, like when it was competitive. So, like, I don't want to hear about that. And then they also made it as a sixth seed in 2018 where the Bears – uh, helped the Eagles get in by beating the Vikings, even though the Bears had nothing to play for. Right. And the Vikings had everything to play for. But Kirk Cousins always comes up small in big spots. And that was, of course, the double doink year. So there was that. Um, and then the Eagles made it when they went on that late run in 2019 with Carson Wentz kind of beating up on these bad NFC East uh, division rivals with the Giants and Washington in there. So that certainly helped. Um, but you know, then he gets hurt and they lose in the first round to the Seahawks and then the, obviously the Super Bowl too back in 2017. But like, it's a little much to be continuing to still kind of beat that drum of like taking credit for that. Like, I mean, I'm not saying they deserve no credit for that, 
But it's 2017, guys. Like that's been a long time in yeah. the NFL. You can't just be like, "Well, we're fine" because we won the Super Bowl five years ago or whatever. Like, no, like you know, it's been a while since you actually, you know, went in the playoffs and like won a game and did it convincingly. Because the one win they have outside of the Super Bowl since is when they beat the Bears, right. and that was like a game that they very easily could have lost if Cody Parkey doesn't miss that field goal. So um, again. There's, there's much to prove in the postseason. There is reason to feel optimistic about the Eagles and being better than last year and everything. And, and just the nature of the NFC outside of basically like the Packers and the Bucks kind of being wide open. Like there's reason to believe they can maybe, you know, win a game and maybe kind of go on a run here. But again, it all comes back to can they beat the good teams? Do they really belong with them? Are they serious kind of contenders? And that's what we're going to see this season. We're going to get an answer to that question, hopefully. Yeah, because the, the NFC is wide open. Uh, it really is. Because uh, one of the shows that I was watching on the CHGO channel, they kind of did a breakdown of the quarterbacks, like trying to, you know, where would Justin Fields rank in each conference? And I think in, in the AFC, because of Russell Wilson is in the AFC now, Matt Ryan's in the AFC now, uh, you know, and, and all the other moves that have shifted around, it's like, the 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 quarterback talent on the AFC side uh, of the league is is bananas. I think he came in at like eleven or twelve out of sixteen, but in the NFC, I think he came in at like six or seven, based on you know who was who is he better than you know, and or would you rather have you know? I think that's kind of how they were looking at it. Like, would you rather have Justin Fields or would you rather have so and so and and things like that? And basically, it's like behind. Aaron Rodgers and you know and 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 Matt Stafford and and Tom Brady and stuff like that, you know you're only another like three or four spots removed before you're like yeah I would take Justin Fields ahead of the rest of these guys, uh, kind of mm-hmm. thing. So it, it is a wide open uh, conference and like you said it's a wide open division because nobody wins it years. I mean it was the Eagles that won in '03 and '04 that were the last ones to do it. That was almost 20 years ago now that we're we're, we're talking about a repeat champion. Uh, in the NFC East. So, you know, it's not an, it's also not uncommon to see a worst to first thing happen. So even though it looks impossible for the Giants, it's the NFC East. You can't <laughs> completely rule it out. You know what I mean? With Brian Dable and, and you know, bringing in the offense and I'm like, who knows? But, uh, you know, crazier things have happened uh, in the NFC East where, you know, you go into the season looking in one direction and, you know, the, the left hand doesn't know what the right one is doing kind of thing. And the left hand wins the division out of nowhere. Uh, you know, so it's it's uh, it's definitely a possibility for for any variety of things to happen uh, for the Eagles. But I will say that those last six games, it's a combination of you got some tough games in there, and you're pretty much spend the entire month of December on the road because you're home for Tennessee on December the fourth, then at the Giants, at the Bears, at the Cowboys, before you come home for the Saints and the Giants to finish out. Uh, the year so I mean those back-to-back-to-back road trips in December not necessarily going to be a lot of fun for you guys yeah historically you know you play that third of three straight road week games like the teams in those situations do not fare well so it's really tough that the Eagles get uh, you know the Cowboys in that spot and not only their biggest division rival but also not in terms of it won't be a rest disadvantage for them um, 
but it's, it's you're traveling on a shorter than regular week because that's a Saturday game. So it's just right. it's not ideal. And obviously, there's some things in the schedule that do work in their favor. There's pros and cons, but that's definitely one of the cons. There is that they have this three straight road games, and you know the, the Giants and Bears games are on the road, and they look winnable. Um, but you never know. And right. then even if you win those two, I mean, again, the biggest test is that third game. So so yeah, that's that's a tough one. And again, that could be for the division. So that's uh. That's probably the biggest one you'd circle on the calendar here. Right. Well, you know, I, I look forward to, to uh, you know, talking to you again in December, which is almost six months to the day uh, from now that game will be taking place. So uh, we'll definitely have the answers to most of these questions the next time we get a chance to talk when we preview week 15 between the Bears and the Eagles that will be taking place in Soldier Field. Um, it's going to be a long six months, Brandon, where can we keep up with you in the, in the meantime? It, it, it seems like it'll be long now, but by the time we get there, it'll feel like it have gone, Tell I'm sure in a flash, yeah. um, especially once training camp starts, you right. know, it'll take some time. Still have a month left as we're recording this to camp starts, but once camp gets going, it all begins again. Um, but people can keep up with me at bleeding all your Eagles coverage there, BGN radio as well for the podcast things we have going on. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon Gouton. I just posted a picture of some really good pizzas. So obviously you, you want to see that. Uh, nice. Yeah. So definitely a nice little plug there. Also uh, talk about the bears sometimes on the SB nation NFL show, which is our general NFL coverage that we have going on. In awesome. addition to our localized Eagles, uh, only stuff on bleeding green nation so uh those are all the main things you can find me at awesome well brandon thanks so much uh for joining us man it was great to have you back uh on the show look forward to talking to you again uh in uh in december uh, best of luck to you guys and i hope uh jalen hurts dies like a dog on christmas uh on the week before uh christmas so we can uh we can send you to the cowboys wounded uh uh in that all important game at the end of the year for you guys all is fair in love and war. Uh, thanks for having me, Larry. Always a pleasure. Hey, man, hey man we were victim of the double doink. I had to throw a shot at you in some way. You, know? like, <laughs> you get to laugh at us for, for eternity over Cody Parkey and this goddamn goalpost hitting talents. So, uh, he, I mean, he was remarkable at it. He did it like eight times that year. It was, it was unbelievable to watch. Just it's a double agent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely he was. So, but Brandon, thanks so much, man. We'll hope to talk to you again real soon. As always, want to thank my guest, uh, Brandon Lee Gowton, for uh, coming on the show and uh, helping us uh, preview these uh, Eagles. So it'll be a while before we talk to Brandon again. They will be our matchup just coming off of the bye the week before Christmas, week number 15 at home uh, against the Eagles. And it's that, that Bears, the Bears in that stretch uh, where they basically stay home for the entire month of uh, December. You know, we got Green Bay to start uh, week 13 uh, at home. Then we have the bye week, and then we have Philly at home, and then Buffalo at home. But every December football game for the Bears will be at Soldier Field uh, this year. So they're right there uh, coming off the bye. Week number 15 is when we will see them and when we will be talking to Brandon uh, again. So uh, like I said uh, in the in the open, and, and you heard us talk about it during the uh, during the interview 
Um, it the, the NFC East seemingly every year is a wide open division. It might not look like that on paper going into it. I mean, last year going into 2021, looking at things through the lens of 2020, the the Commanders were in the best position to repeat uh, as champion uh, with the way that they finished so strong at the season with the at the end of the season with the way they were the ones that basically looked like the only competition the Buccaneers had in their playoff run to the Super Bowl. Uh, last year and, and, and all that kind of stuff. All they needed to do was figure out the quarterback position and maybe they had done just enough by getting Ryan Fitzpatrick. But of course, he gets hurt less than a half into the season and things went off the rails uh, from there. For the commanders, the Cowboys came in like gangbusters with six and one start and all that kind of stuff and they win the division. But like I said, with these Eagles starting out two and five, two and six, and then working their way up to making a playoff run, uh, get, you know, getting that seventh seed uh, and everything was was quite an accomplishment uh, for them and for first-year head, first head coach Nick Sirianni. So uh, with the moves they made, getting A.J. Brown and, uh, and everything else, uh, the Eagles are looking to make some moves this year. And with the way that division uh, history works, are looking to lean into that history and become the division champion for 2022 to oust the Cowboys uh, from atop uh, the division this year. So um, it'll be interesting to, to to watch the year and see how it all uh, goes down. Um, and, you know, we still have the Cowboys left. If you come back on Thursday, uh, RJ Ochoa from SB Nation's blog and the boys will be with us to uh, preview these Cowboys. Talk about this uh, crazy offseason that they've had with the Randy Gregory signing, and they seem to part with more part with some household names uh, this year. And, and the guys that they brought in weren't exactly space. I mean, they were roster fillers for sure, but it aren't exactly uh, somebody who would give uh, Cowboys fans a whole lot of confidence going into the year. You'll even hear uh, RJ say that on paper, we're worse than we were a year ago. So, it, you know, even though they, they still seem to be the team because the, the core of that football team is still intact, they seem to be the best team, uh, best team the team with the best option um, to win uh, and repeat as division champion uh, this year. But like I said at the beginning of the show, we've seen that happen a few times where a team looks poised to repeat or this team looks like the team to beat and then in that division ends up not being because the, the, the these four teams love to take turns uh, winning that division. These four teams love to take turns showing up uh, where they didn't show up the year before. So uh, I will be very interested and intrigued to see how this goes down, uh, especially since the Bears are playing all of them uh, this year. So anyway, guys, that is going to do it as we wrap things up for the Eagles. And on Thursday, we will be wrapping up the entire division when we have our fourth and final team in the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys will be here to help us preview uh, that show. And then that's it. We are on to the NFC North and finally closing the book on this year's uh, opponent preview series. Jeremy Reisman, Chris Gates, Evan Western, and Lauren Cox will all be back to help us uh, preview our home division. And, uh, you know, as always, Lauren to here be here to help us preview our home squad. So, uh, you know, we got five more of these bad boys to go. One more to close out the NFC East, and then we're on to our home division and on to training camp and the preseason and regular season football and life can get back to normal uh, once again. So anyway, guys, come back on Thursday as we preview the Cowboys with RJ Ochoa. And until then, 
My name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.